are thrilled to have the institutional fundraising platform Instrumental join us as a multi-episode sponsor in Season 5. Instrumental CEO Gary Monglick has created a mini-series of grant tips to help you be more efficient and strategic in your grant seeking. Listen in on today's tidbit. What learning opportunities does Instrumental provide to the grants community? We provide workshops almost every week from different grant experts like yourselves um, and uh, where we t- tackle different parts of the grant writing process. Um, and that's totally free. It's, it's available um, on our website. Um, we also have a blog where we're publishing content weekly about um, tips and tricks and, and like guides on how to pursue and win more grants. And then our whole approach to our, the way that we build our product and our process is that it's very personalized. And so even when you're signing up for a 14-day trial, we're going to actually walk you through the product and answer your questions. And through that, maybe even teach you a little bit about the grant writing process um, just by like interacting with us. Um, we're very excited to show you how Instrumental um, can overall help you be more successful with grants. To find out more, check out instrumental.com. Use coupon code HEYDAY50 for $50 off the first month of Instrumental. That's I-N-S-T-R-U-M-E-N-T-L dot com. Hello there, I'm Kimberly Hayes de Muga. And I'm Amanda Day. And you're listening to Season 5 of the Fundraising Heyday Podcast. We're here to help you make sense of the complex world of grant writing and fundraising, whether you work for a nonprofit, local government, or are a consultant who serves them. On Fundraising Heyday, we will cover the how-to, but we also want to explore the whys of things, the Y-W-H-Y-S of things, including poking the bear of inequity that is sulky and hot in the summertime and is roaming the world of philanthropy. So we just want to poke around and talk about things that are important. Yes. And as always, we do this every two weeks with the help of experts in the field and our own particular brand of entertainment, which may include songs and cheesy sound effects and an occasional y'all, because learning doesn't have to be boring. So let's get to today's topic. This podcast is brought to you by our season five sponsor, D.H. Leonard Consulting and Grant Writing Services. Don't let grants stress you out. Their team can help you with grant readiness and training, grant research, grant writing, mock review, as well as providing numerous DIY resources, guides, and templates. Did you know that with every Fundraising Heyday episode, we create a coordinating blog post on their website, dhleonardconsulting.com. Check it out today. So welcome back to the show, or if you're a first-time listener, we're so glad. Thanks for We've got you. Thanks for tuning in. Today, we're talking about the easiest and just most carefree part of the nonprofit world, your board of directors. Yeah. Just easy peasy. Easy I think peasy. I'm just going to, we're just going to, we're going to frolic through the fields today. <laughs> yeah. And uh, we'll give you a second to pick your jaw off the floor in case you didn't pick up on that heavy dose of sarcasm we were laying down. Yeah. So let's take a minute to pause and ponder the fact that nonprofits are set up by, by law, I mean, by federal, by federal law, to have a group of people who are usually not representing the communities the nonprofit serves and most likely have never worked for a nonprofit, wait for it, run that nonprofit in the sense that the CEO or the executive director reports to the board. So what could possibly go wrong? Oh, <laughs> nothing ever. Yeah. <laughs> 
So today we're super excited to have Crystal and Cherry join us. She is a nationally recognized nonprofit executive and professionally trained fundraiser. With over 20 years in the nonprofit sector, she has supported higher education institutions, human service organizations, and faith-based missions. Her career portfolio as a full-time professional and consultant includes American University, the United Negro College Fund, Spelman College, Nicholas House, the Interdenominational Theological Center, Florida A&M University, Action Ministries, and one that's close and near and dear to our hearts here, the Georgia Center for Nonprofits. Um, In each role, Crystal has interfaced, guided, and collaborated with diverse boards made up of college presidents, ministers, bishops, politicians, corporate CEOs, civic leaders, consultants, attorneys, stay-at-home mom, and students. Crystal has an MA in counseling from Hampton University and a BA in liberal arts from Hofstra University and professional development certifications in nonprofit leadership, social media fundraising, and nonprofit management. So she's just got a little bit in her background, right? We're continuing with our tradition of having people on the on the podcast that are, exactly. are absolutely boring. Yeah, never and done never anything do in her life. <laughs> so we're glad you're Yeah, she currently serves on the board of the Greater Atlanta Chapter of the Association of Fundraising Professionals and the Villages of Carver YMCA. She's a regular presenter with Candid, Network for Good, Bloomerang, and a bunch of other organizations. She's been the guest on multiple podcasts, and we're so excited that she has joined us today. One thing she founded, I have to point out, she founded F3, which is the Fabulous Female Fundraisers. We need to find out more about this. So, Crystal, we're so glad to have you join us today. <laughs> Thank you guys for having me. I was uh, laughing hysterically with first with your intro, and then second, <laughs> as, you, as you began the topic of talking about boards, uh, I, I I couldn't help but crack up. Uh, <laughs> about some of the things you were saying. So thank you so much for a little humor this morning uh, as we begin our conversation. <laughs> oh, you're, you're welcome. We're just, I mean, we, we t- want to talk about serious topics, but we also don't want to take ourselves too seriously because we're always, we're always learning. So, <laughs> but it's the truth. I, I, in my heart, I believe I spoke the truth about, <laughs> at least about my feelings about board district. I'm just, that's my feelings, my thoughts. It's truth though. It's always an interesting experience, that's for sure. Well, Crystal, we've never interviewed anyone who said their childhood dream was to be a fundraiser or a grant writer or a nonprofit consultant, because, you know, what 12-year-old says that? But Uh. we'd love to hear about how you fell or maybe were led led into the fundraising career. Yeah, like everyone else, I fell into it. You know, like you said, that's not something you think about as as a child, but I will say that I was kind of a dreamy child. You know, I was Mm -hmm. always a child that wanted to do something amazing. I thought I was either going to be a pastor or a teacher. I wanted to do something with with people. I wanted to make a difference. The fact that I ended up in the nonprofit sector is not a surprise to my family. Uh, Fundraising was not something I ever knew about. And so my plan was to be a college president. I had just finished up my my master's degree in education. The, my trajectory was to go up the, the chain and become a college president while working at American University in the, in the College of Arts and Sciences, working as the director of admissions and academic affairs. Um, I, I befriended a woman who worked um, in the fundraising department at American University. She was a black woman. In fact, one of the few black folks who worked in the fundraising department. Uh-huh. And she and I became friendly. We were having lunch. 
And uh, she kept talking to me about what she was doing. And she said, you know, you'd be a great fundraiser. And I said, what's that? And she said, you know, she went on about, you know, you have a great personality, you're outgoing, you you know, you're, you are um, charismatic. You would be a great fundraiser. And I was like, no, I'm, I'm, no, I'm not good. I'm going to be, a, I'm going to be a world changer. I'm going to help nourish young minds. That was kind of how, what I wanted to do. And she kept talking to me and talking to me about it. And uh, she said, you know, you can still work with students. You can still work with alumni, you know, as, as a fundraiser in higher ed, you do. And yeah. she said, you know, you would just be great. You should give it a shot. And, and by the way, the job is paying like $20,000 more than what you're making right now. And I was like, <laughs> there's that. <laughs> and then there's that. And I was like, oh, wait a minute. And so anyway, um, needless to say, she talked me into it. My interview with her was on September 11th. Um, oh. So needless to say, that interview was canceled uh, wow. um, working in D.C. But um, I eventually got the job and I never looked back. And so that's kind of mm-hmm. how I fell up into fundraising. I don't know whether I should hug her or kick her for. It's a mixed bag. Yeah. <laughs> so also, I think it's dream. Of- it speaks so much to the power of of mentors and having yes. people to who can help you navigate these things. I mean, that's yes. that's 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 wonderful. I think it's especially in fundraising and grant writing. It's kind of all about who who you can learn from I've since mm-hmm. I mean there are a couple of programs now but I guess I was thinking of Indiana University they're kind of more I mean the research oriented right because it's a university but they yes. with the school of philanthropy but it's still kind of an, an apprenticeship kind of thing to learn fundraising and grant writing so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so she definitely saw something in you and brought you along and would not take no <laughs> also the 20 the 20k more a month can we also just take a moment to talk about asking and getting what you're worth because in the nonprofit world too often, particularly I would say outside of larger institutions like academic institutions, usually, you know, it's like a, it's oddly kind of seen maybe a little bit as women's work in smaller and medium nonprofits and the mm-hmm. pay is according. So, right. Just, I don't know. So um, to sort of segue into, we were joking before we started recording about, um, the wonderful world of working with boards. And I, I I could bloviate for a long time about, I don't even understand why it was set up in the first place. I mean, I, I feel checks and balances, but I don't know that a board is necessarily getting us where we need to be as nonprofits, but that is not what this episode is about. <laughs> I feel like this is a chance for us to talk to an expert, who is you, about how to work with what we've got. You know, we... Yeah. This is where we have to be, and through your through your company, the Board Pro, you specialize in educating and motivating boards through training and related consulting work. And it just it made me laugh at me, not at you, when I saw that you recently held a workshop about how to get your board fired up about fundraising. And because Amanda's the nice one on our podcast, my brain immediately went to, I'm a recovering development director. I've ranted about it a lot, but, but there've been times that I just wanted to set the boardroom on fire, not to motivate, but just to burn it down because I was so frustrated. Yes. Um, and I'm just wondering in, in all of your expertise and your, and your years of work with, with wonderful organizations, are there, could you encapsulate into maybe what are the top three most common things 
that you have found across the organizations um, that boards, the board members themselves may face, whether they know it or not, to be effective and efficient and, and leading that aspect of nonprofit organizations? So from what could, because there are many people who listen to us that serve on boards. Yes. Well, it's helpful. It's helpful to have some folks on your board who who work in the nonprofit space <laughs> or who have fundraising background, of course. Yes. Um, but the, the thing is, you know, let's look at who's serving on boards. You know, the individuals who are serving on boards are just people who are working, who have volunteered. They're excited about your mission. They have volunteered to support you. They're not trained fundraisers. No. No. They don't know anything about it. And so the <laughs> expectation is they're just going to roll onto your board and all of a sudden, you know, voila, they're going to become fundraisers that know how to effectively raise funds for your organization is, is, is foolish. And so one of the things I usually ask folks when they tell me, oh, my board, they're so lame, they don't raise any money. And I say, well, have you equipped them? Mm-hmm. What kind of training have you provided for them? You know, these are just regular folk. They, they're not fundraising pros. And so the onus is on you as the organization to provide the training and equip them with the tools that they need so that they can raise money for you. And it starts with, you know, knowing the mission. I mean, I have been in board meetings and done exercises and said, let's go around the room and everyone share what the mission of the organization is. And you would be surprised um, by the end of, by the time we've gone around the room, how the mission has changed and morphed into something completely different than what the organization does. And I want to know, how is your board going to raise money for you when they don't even know what your mission is? True. So that's the first thing. And so one of the things I always tell my clients is that missions should be mentioned all the time. It should be on the top of every agenda. You know, you should always incorporate mission when the conversations that you have at your board meetings, you should have those mission moments at the top of every agenda. There should be videos. I mean, you need to provide um, the case for support, right? You need to have talking points, which I call points of pride, right? Mm, nice. The elevator pitch, if people even do those anymore, right? You need to have all of those things ready and at, at the at the ready for your board so that everyone is saying the same thing. Anything new and exciting that's coming out uh, about your organization, you need to keep your board apprised. Anything that's going on in the industry that your, your organization is working on, you need to keep your board apprised. You need to give them something to talk about, right? Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. people can't get people excited, other people excited about your work and try to invite them into your story if they don't know the story. <laughs> it's true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so my question to, the, to my clients is, how well are you doing that? How well are mm-hmm. you providing? Are you sending regular updates to the board about what's going on inside the organization? Do they have any idea who's working at the organization? Have they met staff? Do they know some of the challenges of the staff? Do they know some of the wins that the staffs are, are accomplishing? Have they, have they been to the shelter? Do they know about the big grant that you guys just closed? Like, Give them something to talk about so that when they're out and about and talking to their friends or their colleagues or their, their co-workers, they have meaty, juicy stuff to talk about. And if you're not doing that, you can't expect them to do that for you. In addition to that, having some fundraising 101 training mm-hmm. couldn't hurt. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just understanding how to, how to ask. The things to look for. Now, hopefully you have a fundraising team, an internal fundraising team who can do this work. And so we don't expect your board members to become trained, certified CFRE uh, individuals. But we do want them to have some basic knowledge. And that means having some maybe a refresher training two or three times a year um, Mm -hmm. to talk a little bit about fundraising and what's going on in the fundraising industry. Some of the challenges that your your fundraisers are are experiencing or some of the 
um, the wins that your fundraisers are experiencing. And then I always, as a fundraiser, one of the things I did to keep my board busy in between board meetings, because that was the biggest thing. We don't know what to do. We don't know what to do. I had a menu of opportunities for the board to engage for me on a weekly basis. So I would, at the top of the week, send out my weekly, <laughs> my sure. weekly, weekly ways to stay engaged, right? My stewardship nice. things. And so I would say this week, because every week it would change. I need one board member to sign a thank you note. I need one board member to call a volunteer. I'm going to the shelter on, on Wednesday. Can a board member accompany me there so that you can meet, you know, meet a potential donor? I have a grant that's due on Friday. It's all done, but I need one more person to look at it. Can you give me your editing eyes? And so every week people's schedules change. So this week you may have a lot of free time and you say, yeah, I can go to the shelter with you or I can look at the grant application next week. Maybe you can't. And so every week I'm a one person or a two person shop in some instances. And so I need the help. Take stuff mm-hmm. off my plate. You want to get involved. You want to get engaged. These are ways to engage board, member in, board members in work so that they can see what the daily work of being in the nonprofit space is like. And there's no way you can say now you don't know how to engage with us between board meetings because I'm keeping you engaged. In addition to that, I'm cultivating. I had a stewardship plan for my board. So mm-hmm. I know that whose birthdays were when, whose anniversaries were when, whose kids were graduating, whose kids were getting married, when someone passed away, if someone's in the hospital, I'm constantly in touch with my boy, cultivating those relationships, letting them know we care about them, letting them know, how's your vacation? Oh my God, this is so wonderful. Your daughter just won this great award. And so when you start building those kind of relationships where they trust you and they feel like you're interested, it's not just what we can suck out of you, but we also want to give back to you. And I would say to them, how can we make this board experience more meaningful for you? So this is a two-way street here. This is not just me sucking everything from you. I want you to raise money for me. I want you to come to board meetings. I want you to put everything on social media. What can we as an organization do to make this a great experience for you? So it's a lot of work. And a lot of people don't put the time in to really cultivate the relationships that need to happen on the board and give them the proper training so that they can be great fundraisers for you. I think too, I, I love, I love that weekly stewardship thing. That was me scratching my little pen and taking notes. If y'all heard that in the background, I love that sort of weekly stewardship bulletin and um, all the, the things you said, you're just, it's, it's inspiring for how to do that. I have a, a sort of a follow-up question for that. That's come up with some of my clients and a little bit with me in the past, although I was fortunate to work in organizations where the board members like the Atlanta Community Food Bank and, and Children's Health Care of Atlanta, where it was it was a little bit different ball game. But some of my clients are maybe medium-sized nonprofits and they have maybe they're newer to the nonprofit and they've inherited board members who might say things like that I don't fundraise, that's not my job. Or um and and sometimes they bring me in not because they don't know the answer, but because I am not from the organization to say, actually, there's so many different ways that you can do this. And no one's asking you to cold call someone during dinner time and ask them about their, you know, car's warranty or something like that. This is, it's not that, but I have found that sometimes that maybe, and maybe these are organizations that don't have term limits on their board. So you've gotten folks who are used to doing things a certain way. And whether you are going working directly as a chief development officer or um, a development director, or whether you're a grant writer just trying to get some connections with family foundations, what what would be your advice for folks who are maybe dealing with board members who weren't 
informed, I'll say, about the importance of fundraising for boards and, and are really putting their, um, really reluctant to engage. Like they would rather look at a, a budget, you know, and have fiduciary f- responsibilities. Right. Well, the first thing I want to respond to is you said something about board terms. I mean, we could have a whole separate podcast interview on board terms. I have feelings and thoughts. Why those are, why those are important. <laughs> um, so there are a couple things here. You know, and we realize that everyone, everyone, and that's why it's so important for your executive director and your board chair to meet with your board members once or twice a year so that you can uh-huh. really get to know them and understand what their strengths are, what their skill sets are. Sure. Because just like you should do when you're working inside, when you're do, working with a team, you want to make sure that you have the right people doing the right things, right? So if you meet with Bob, Bob is very outgoing. He has a lot of connections. He's not, you know, he's, he's not scared to ask people for, for what he needs. Bob is a good guy to do some fundraising for you. You meet with Amy, she's kind of an introvert. She's not real personable. She's really great crunching numbers, or she's really great on strategy. She's not really a real outgoing person. She's not the woman you want to put out front, right? And so you want to really learn, you know, who's on your board. I call them ambassadors, connectors, and fundraisers, right? And so you want to know who falls in what category. And you need all three to be on your board. And sometimes one person can be all three. I'm probably all three, A, B, and C, ambassador, fundraiser, and connector, right? But it's okay if you have someone who is just um, a person who, who's a strategist, you know, who's, who thinks strategy, who's about numbers. You need that person on your board. But you also need the ambassador, the person who's going to be out there um, talking to you, telling your story, telling everybody about all the work you do. And then you need the connectors, right? The people mm-hmm. who are willing to introduce you to people. And so you really need to do a good job. And the only way that you can do that is to get to know who's on your board mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. categorizing and putting people in places where you know they have strengths and where they have interests. And the only way you're going to find out is to have coffee with them once or twice a year and ask them, what skill sets would you like to use that you have? What strengths that you have that will make this experience rewarding for you and beneficial for us? You know, even if, like, for instance, for me, because I'm a fundraiser, I'm always asked to serve on the board and sit on the fundraising committee, right? And sometimes I don't want to. That right. might be my strength. <laughs> that might be what I do, but it might not be what I want to do for this right. organization. Maybe I want to sit on the finance committee. Maybe I want to sit on the governance co- committee. Maybe I want to be on the programs committee. I'd like to do something else. So I'll say to them, if you absolutely need me, I'll serve on the fundraising committee or I'm happy to advise. But this time I'd like to serve on the programs committee. You won't know that unless you sit down and have coffee with me. So I'm the worst board member that you can have on your board um, <laughs> because you better believe I'm going to hold you accountable. In fact, I called my board president uh, this year um, who, uh, for the... Um, the Carver YMCA. Oh, and yeah. I said to her, I'm feeling some kind of way. And we're already into August. And you've not called me yet for coffee. You've not called to, uh, I know we're in COVID. We could do a Zoom meeting. Mm-hmm. I mean, I haven't even finished paying my, my board dues. No one's holding me accountable. Like, what's going on here? I joined this board. Are you asking me to be on this board? Because I want to make a difference. And I don't feel like they're using me optimally. And she said, this is not a call I get on. You know, it's not usually board members calling me, chastising me for not encouraging them to do more work. But I told her when she asked me to join, you sure you want me on your board? Because I know what needs to happen. (laughs) Even fair (laughs) word. 
So once you realize uh, who has what strengths on your board, you don't try Mm -hmm. to push that person who is an introvert, who you know is not going to be really great at fundraising. You're not going to try to push that person to do it. You're going to use that person's strengths for something else, right? Mm -hmm. But one of the things I tell uh, tell my board members is that we advocate for ourselves and ask for what we need in our lives every single day. And if you think about it, that's fundraising. Fundraising is asking for what you need and getting problems solved. Getting the funds you need to solve problems, right? And so think about what you do in your, at least me. Okay, I'll say this. I'm your girl that's going to be in Kroger looking for a manager because there's 8,000 people in line and only one <laughs> register open. Like I'm the yeah. person that's going to say, looky here. Mm-hmm. I'm in Kroger three, four times a week. I just have some eggs. I don't know why I have to stand in line 30 minutes when there's one register open. Now they have the self-check. But my point is, is I'm the person that's going to advocate for myself. You know, if my son is having problems in school, I'm up at the school talking to the school principal. I need to talk to the teacher. I need to know what's going on. You're advocating. You're asking for what you need. If you believe Mm -hmm. strongly in, in something, no one has to tell you to go up to that place and be passionate about whatever it is and ask for what you need. It's the same thing. If you feel strongly about the mission of your organization and you're passionate about the work that's being done and you know lives are being changed, you're not going to be scared when it's time to ask them. Listen, let me tell you about the organization I'm on the board of. They are doing fantastic work. Let me explain to you some of the things that they're doing. Let me tell you about this great event we have coming up. Have you been on our Facebook page? Oh, my God, there's amazing pictures on our, of our children. You have to go. And you know what? We can't continue to do this work without some money. So we would love if you would support us. I mean, so if you really feel strongly, just as strongly as you felt about advocating for your kid or being in Kroger and getting another cash register open or whatever it is that you feel strongly about... You can do the same thing for your organization. And so in, in, in some ways, we're fundraising in our lives all the time and we don't even know it. And when you start thinking about it like that, then people start to say, oh, yeah, I guess I am actually advocating for myself in lots of ways, even when in your job. Right. So. Yeah. That is fantastic. Thank you so much. I, I love to learn and I'm learning. I'm learning right now. <laughs> I love fundraising as advocacy because. I've worked with board members before who were top achievers, you know, right in their fields, right? Lawyers that look like they, I would not want to face them in a a court. Well, I don't want to be in court anyway, but, but, you know, across a negotiating table and they would say, I'm afraid to ask people for money. I'm like, yes, yes, Mr. $500 an hour. (laughs) I bet you've asked somebody for money, but I never made that connection before. Thank you. That's a, that's a wonderful connection. And this is why we have people on our podcast who know more than we do about these things (laughs) to help us out. So thank you. Absolutely. And you guys stop me because you can see I get excited and I get on a roll. No, no, we we love love it. But I'm going to say the question I was going to ask next actually got covered in all the discussions we had. So let's skip that and go to the next one, Kimberly. I sure will. So um, we were talking right before we uh, started recording and Crystal was so very politely wanting to know, so... How'd, how'd y'all find me anyway? You know, we're like, hey, we're on this podcast. We'd love for you to come on um, for our dozens of listeners. But um, but we're actually, that, you know, actually, that's not true. We have, we have, a we reach a lot more than we think. So I'm going to stop talking it down. I am going to say that I share with Crystal that I found her through um, a book, a, a kind of anthology called Collecting Courage. And we've talked about this before, I think when the book first came out in 2020. And I should have gone back and looked up that episode, but I did not. But um, we talked about this as one of the resources where people could go to learn more about people of color in philanthropy, um, 
people of color in grant raising, uh, grant writing, uh, particularly if you are white and in this field, you We've all experienced the joy of competitive grant writing and fundraising, but all, but if you are white, you may not understand um, the different barriers and 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 tougher challenges that many people of color face, particularly um, black people, particularly black people in the South. Although I know it's pervasive across the country, so with all of that in my head, um, um, Crystal wrote chapter three in the. 2020 book, Collecting Courage, Joy, Pain, Freedom, Love. And um, it was about, the chapter was called The Epiphany of a Joyful Fundraiser. And I think we've all heard how joyful, um, how, how she could put a joyful slant on on all sorts of things connected to fundraising. But in that chapter, um, Crystal, you also wrote about how some bleak times as a chief development officer led you to find faith in yourself and start your firm. And Particularly for people who may not have experienced this, um, I, first of all, I say buy the book, give give people the money that bought the book, buy the book, and educate yourself. But I would love it, Crystal, if you could share examples of of maybe something that you faced in the workplace as a black fundraising leader and how that sort of pushed you toward the consulting journey, if you would like to. Yeah, um, you know, I have like many of us, I have a love hate relationship with fundraising. Um, yeah. there have been plenty of times when I've said, you know what, I'm going to do something else. I'm just right. I'm over this. I can't, I can't do it anymore. Um, uh, and yet I can't get away from it. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so I want to start off by saying that, you know, my, my career has been a journey up and down. I've had some really wonderful experiences working for wonderful organizations with great missions and work with great people, but I've also worked for some great organizations with some not so great people. Um, and we know that most times when people leave nonprofit work, they're not leaving the work, they're leaving, they're leaving the people. people. <laughs> yep. <laughs> you're either working with someone that is making your life a, a living hell or you're working like a, a Hebrew slave and you're not getting paid for it. You know, there are all kinds of things that are going on. Um, in my career, um, like I said, I've worked for some really great organizations and and there have been some dark times. And, you know, until you've been fired or laid off, you're not a real fundraiser, right? You know, it's like uh, most of us have it's been true. in positions where the reality check uh, is not being checked um, because your boss is saying, you know, I want you to raise, you know, 35 gazillion dollars uh, next week. Um, and we don't have, you know, we don't have software. Our board is not engaged. Our endorsers yeah. are not engaged, you know. Yeah, <laughs> we don't do. We send one letter out every year. We're not on social media. <laughs> By the way, we don't have you know we don't have money for this. We don't have money for that. And yet, thirty five million dollars we want you to raise next week, right? <laughs> and they say it with a serious face, and you look at them like, "Are you joking me?" <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we know unrealistic oh, expectations, gosh. and that is because folks just think, particularly here in Atlanta, guys. What I got was just call Tyler Perry. I mean, don't you live south of the city? You ride by his exit on the interstate every day. Can't you just? You know, he likes or Coca Cola, right? Coca Cola's got money. Oprah. Yeah, just call. I mean, can't we just Tyler Perry? He's really passionate about religion. Can we get him over here to talk about our faith camp? You know, and I'm just like, are you freaking joking me? And people also think that you meet someone, and just because they're rich or because they have means, that they're going to want to give what they have to you, right? <laughs> and so, and even if they do want to give it to you, it's not going to be overnight. Right. And so it takes a long time to build relationships with donors, particularly major donors. And most fundraisers don't stay around long enough to build those relationships because mm -hmm. the turnover in fundraising is nine months to 18 months. Right. 
And so, you know, it takes a year sometimes to build a long-term relationship that you're going to ask someone to go ask for a six-figure or seven-figure gift. That is not something that happens overnight. And if your fundraiser has changed three times, and I have called donors who have said, listen here, you're the third fundraiser who's called. I'm I'm just over it. I'm fatigued. Um, You know, I I don't even want to really give to this organization anymore. What are you supposed to do when that happens, right? So I I, I say all that to say that I've had some really good people who wanted to mentor me and really wanted to bring me along and really help me to be successful in my role and to help me in my own professional career. And then I have I've had others who were more interested in, you know, making themselves look good. Right. And so mm-hmm. I've had, you know, executive directors who didn't want me to have any interaction with the board. They didn't want me to come to board meetings. They didn't want me to talk to them. They didn't want me to ask them for anything. And so the board didn't know who I was. They didn't know right. what the raising was. They didn't know, and I don't know how I was expected to be uh, successful in places like that. You know, I've had instances where I was about to make a check press. I was about to make a presentation um, in front of a large group. Um, the Atlanta Women's Foundation was having their, uh-huh. their, their annual lunch. And I had closed a big grant that was going to be given. And we were going to do a story. And we brought the person out that we were going to um, give the money to. And um, right before I was about to walk out on stage, my executive director pulled me back and said, I'll go, you stay back. Uh, he wow. wanted the limelight, right? Mm-hmm. And I just thought, wow. I was just, just so just so depleted after that, you know? This is bringing back so many painful memories <laughs> that are slightly different than what you experienced, but are really, <laughs> really, really bad and big and i'm just i'm going to sit here and experience that thank and then, you of course we know that as women you know I, I found that in many instances there were several vice presidents who um who worked at my organization who were making a lot more money than i was uh, and yet we all had the same title <laughs> we were all vice presidents of something yep um so there's that uh and then there's the um you, you know there's the you're a, i'm a single mom so there's sometimes right. there's things i just can't make you gotta do I, you know, I can't make a seven o'clock in the morning meeting or I can't come right after work. I never pick my kid up from school. Right. And, you know, but my boss is saying to me, can you find a babysitter? Can you? And I'm just like, and so there were just lots of times where there were microaggressions, macroaggressions, um, lack of consideration for who I was, um, times when they wanted me to travel, put it on my own credit card and wait 30 to 90 days for the requisition to go through for me to be reimbursed. You know, and they would say, well, our, our policy is that you have to pay up front and they will reimburse you. Well, if my credit cards are maxed out or if my savings account is not looking great and I can't afford to put two, three thousand on my card to go to Montana uh, for the for the board retreat. I'm, you know, now I'm, I'm stuck with now having to share that I'm embarrassed because I can't afford to do that. You know, there's just all kinds of things that went down that you think, God, people are so insensitive. Right. The blind spots were not so blind. They were blaring. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty darn big. Yeah. And um, yet I still love fundraising. <laughs> yeah. It seems like maybe you love the, con- the like the, the, the connection. Yes. Making those yes. connections. Because, you know, it's not a boring career, right? You know, there's so many, I mean, there's so many things that you, we do as fundraisers. For, you know, I've been to funerals of donors where you had to sit in the front row con- consoling the wife, you know, I'm thinking, who are these people? But anyway, you're consoling the wife because you want to be there. You want to show that you care. You know, you're at the event, you're working with the board, you're just doing all kinds of things. And so it's not boring work by, by far. 
Uh, it's sometimes challenging. Sometimes you do have to work evenings and weekends. So I do love that part of it. I love the people aspect of it. I love building that relationship. But if because your leadership and if your leadership doesn't get it, who's at the top matters. That's what I kept thinking when I decided, all right, I've had enough of fundraising. I need to do something else. And I, I need to transition out, but I want to stay in nonprofit work. And I kept thinking to myself, who's at the top matters. If you have a great executive director or a great board chair who get it, your experience could be so much more wonderful. If you don't, then it won't. And that's why when I kept thinking, where can I have some impact? How can I continue to do this work? And I kept thinking the boardroom. I kept thinking about those board meetings that I was able to go to and seeing how apathetic some people were and seeing how not engaged and they're walking in and out of the room, taking phone calls and in a sleep or texting, or writing their grocery list, or not really paying attention. And I was like, this is where it starts. It starts in this room. And if we can get these people trained, right, and excited about the work and fundraising, then that will permeate down. And maybe the chief fundraiser at the organization will have more support. You know, maybe the program people will have more support if the people get it. 1.4 million nonprofits, 64 million board members making decisions about lives and causes and they're not equipped and they don't know how to read a budget sheet and they don't know all the things that we know needs to happen at the board level. We're in trouble. Mm -hmm. So that's why I landed working with boards and decided that could be where I could lend everything that I've learned and everything I do with boards is from a fundraising lens. Nice. I'm wanting to break out into the Alexander Hamilton song. I want to be in the room where it happens. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh. So, but you're, I think you're so right about, I, and I'd never put those numbers together to think how many board members there are. But I mean, that is certainly where you can impact the most and affect the most change. Cause really organizations I've worked for, it's the top dictates how, it is for the rest of us. And yes. I have, I've worked at, I worked at one place a very long time and saw where it started out fabulous, but over the years as board members trickled off and new ones came on, what that starting point was to what it was when I finally decided I I'm, I'm ready to go. It's right. amazing how different that whole experience was. And most of my co- colleagues were still the same. It was just the board that had changed and mm-hmm. it makes a difference. So. Well, I want to ask about another book you wrote. So in 2021, you wrote a children's book called Mac and Cheese. Being different is okay. Cheese with a Z. Um, Cheese with a Z. (laughs) And Kimberly and I are avid readers. We both belong to a book club or two. And most of our listeners are avid, avid readers. So I just would love to hear about what led you to write this book. And also, clearly, you've got some stellar time management tips because you have accomplished a lot. So (laughs) how do you do it all? (laughs) That's so sweet of you. Yeah, no, I um, the book had been in in the works for years. It's based on a a true story of what happened to my son when he was about five or six years old. But I twisted the story a little bit because... um, in my work with boards in the last two years, I've been doing a lot of DEI work, right? And talking to boards about diversity, equity, inclusion, and acceptance and belonging and all those keywords we've been hearing. And, you know, I I just kept thinking about some of the puzzled, look on, puzzled looks on faces when, we're, when we really start delving into. And I realized how difficult it is for people who have been behaving and thinking the same way all their lives. So all of a sudden, certainly have to change. 
Um, and I thought with all that's going on in the news, with the, all the stuff, all the stuff, you know, the, the killings uh-huh. and the everything uh-huh. that was been going on, what are our kids thinking? How are they handling all this? How are they handling all this talk about being different? Um, and so I twisted my story, which was a story about my son when he was on the playground, when he was about five or six years old, he went to go integrate into some children. We were up North up on Atlanta road and the children were predominantly white. And he went to integrate into this small group of, of children and they didn't receive him well. Mm. Um, and I don't know necessarily that it was because he was a black kid. Um, but you know, they're five years old, they're six years old. And he right, came yeah. running back to me and said, mommy, they don't want to play with me, you know? And yeah. so I said, it's okay. I said, go back over there. So anyway, I started thinking about that story. So this little story of Mac and Cheese is a story about acceptance and inclusion. And it's about Mac. My son's name is Malcolm, but I call him Mac, uh-huh. um, who goes to the playground and he tries to integrate with a group of children and they shun him. And he walks home. He's sad. And on his way home, he, he runs and befriends a little friend named Cheese. Uh, and Cheese is, uh, my son is biracial. Um, so he's a little, well, He's, he's a little browner now because of the summertime, but he's fair skinned. Um, he has curly, soft hair. So he is all the looks of a biracial kid. This guy, Cheese, this little boy, Cheese, is a dark skinned little black boy with kinky hair and blue eyes, right? So I wanted to make him very different than Mac. Um, so the two of them become friends and Cheese kind of convinces him, hey, listen, we don't have to change who we are. Uh, to, 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 to be accepted. Let's go back and to the, to the playground and let's invite all the children to play with us. And we can accept each other all for who we are. Everyone who is different. We're all okay just the way we are. And so it really, I really kind of turned this tale and twisted it into a way for you to begin to have conversations with your children mm-hmm. about the stuff that we've been dealing with. And so at the end of the book, you know, there are some questions for parents or educators to talk to your children about, um, what is feeling different? You know, have you ever felt different? And, you know, I've read the book to groups of all white children. And when I ask that question, do you feel like you're different? And they'll say, yeah, my hair is blonde or my eyes are blue. Or I'm taller. Or, you know, I live in New York and they live in California, whatever. And, and or you get black children who will say, you know, my hair is kinkier. You know, my nose is bigger. My lips are wider, whatever. But it really starts those conversations with our children when they're very young. This, this book is for mm-hmm. children ages three to eight. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's in very simple language. And I've had moms say to me, this was such a great conversation starter. I would not have known how to start this conversation with my six-year-old about racism, about what it feels like to be different in our country when your skin Uh color is different or your religion is different or your hair texture is different. They're going to school with children that look like that. And Mm -hmm. we need to start talking to them about that now so they Uh won't grow up 50 years later and say, we never had those conversations with our parents, which is what my board members are telling me. Right. So it really, um, the timing of the book, the subject of the book, I think it was just perfect, which is why it has resonated the way it has. And I have been delighted to read the book to to the classrooms and daycare centers. It's been wonderful. So we we also want to know, when do you sleep? (laughs) Yeah. If I'm not being too personal, my goodness. No, it's okay. I, you know, I, just like everyone, I hit a brick wall. I took the whole month of July off. I just started back to work this week. Oh, wow. Um, I had to take a month off because it was just too much. You know, it's just between podcast interviews, the clients that I have, presenting, keynote speeches, reading the book, the classrooms, you know, all kinds of things. But it's been great. I love it. Um, 
but I was burning the midnight hour. I mean, literally yeah. on the up in the morning, take my kid to school, back on the computer at eight thirty, nine o'clock, and shutting the computer off at midnight. Oh yeah, uh, every night. Um, you know, breaking for dinner and homework and stuff like that. But literally yeah. nine, ten, eleven o'clock every night, I'm on the computer. And I'm just like, oh my God, I have got to stop and take a walk. I got to take my dog for a walk. I need to exercise. I need to. And mm-hmm. so I had to really stop and just say, okay, Crystal, we need to get a little bit more balance here. But when you're yeah. an entrepreneur, you work so much harder. You do. Than you, do. You, do I, you tend to love the work. Do you love the, I, I will say I love what I do more and I work harder at it, yes. but I do find I'm like, it's 10 o'clock. Maybe I should not be sitting in front of my big old monitor doing goodness knows what to my posture and eyesight, but it's like, it's, it's exciting. Amanda and I, when we talk about, we would love, we would do this podcast every week if we could, we would do it because we love it. Yes. Um, yeah. No, I love it. I love the work. I love the work. Mm-hmm. So um, where are the, you, you are uh, out and about doing all kinds of things, but if our listeners, where can they, where can they go to learn more about the work you do as a, as a, uh, as the board pro and to get in touch with you. But before you answer that, I will say, please go buy those books, collecting courage and Mac and cheese. I'm pretty sure they're on bookshop.org and also on the big website that shall not be named because it's like a big river somewhere and you can find it there. You can find it on Amazon. I have thoughts and feelings about Amazon, but, but you can find good things on Amazon and these are two good things. So collecting courage and Mac and cheese. So where else would you like for people to come find you? Yeah. 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 So you can always find out about me on my website, the Um, and then Mac and cheese spelled with a Z.com <laughs> and then collecting courage.org. Uh, so those, those are the three websites um, that you can find more about. I mean, then I'm on LinkedIn. I'm always, you know, happy to link up with people on LinkedIn. So uh, and I post a lot on social media. So you can keep up with oh, them. You sent me a link. Did you just post the the blog post about the differences in and sort of black philanthropy in terms yes, of it's, giving it's, and things like that? Maybe yeah. Amanda. This is me because I'm not on Facebook. This is me asking Amanda politely that maybe Amanda could go post it on our Facebook group. Oh, post a link to that. Great. Yeah, the, the post that I just released yesterday was what nonprofit boards should know about Black philanthropy. Yep. Um, because this is Black Philanthropy Month, and I thought it would be appropriate now to, to, to have that conversation. So, yes, absolutely. And I'm writing another book, I'm excited to say. Um, wow. Uh, hopefully to come out next year um, to talk about belonging on boards, right? And what that looks like. And so we're still doing the research. I'm doing it in collaboration with my 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 uh, cons- my co- partner and consulting client, um, Dr. Renee Rubin Ross, and she's out of California. And oh, she's sure. Fabulous. And the two of us are running this book together, so I'm excited about that. Look well, for that. We would year. love to have you back when it comes out, and you can tell us all about it and yes, let people know. Yeah. Yes. Well, thank you guys for having me. I hope I haven't talked your ears off. No, 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 uh, no. I enjoyed no. it. This but I great. love talking about fundraising. I love talking about board work. And so anytime you want to have me back, I'm happy to come back. Oh, thank you. Thank you so yes. much. Well, it shows. I think y'all can probably hear it in her voice. But if you can't, you can definitely, like, if you see her, her the smile on her face, her eyes light up when she talks about the work <laughs> she's doing. So she clearly loves it. Yes. Thank you, ladies, for the work that you're doing as well. Oh, you're Thank so kind. You. You're quite welcome. And um, again, <laughs> we're just delighted you could come on today. And um, we look forward to books, keynotes, all the things from you in the future. <laughs> Thank you.
Thank you for listening. Your continued support is the reason we are back for season five and planning for season six. Watch out. Watch out. Season six. Here we go. Please, please follow and leave a review of Fundraising Heyday on Apple Podcasts. Leaving the reviews helps so much. Um, It helps us in the magical algorithm and artificial scary intelligent things that roam uh, the, the, the worlds of ranking. And it just helps us. If you're listening to us on Spotify, follow there or on our website, any place, if you could share the show with your friends, it really helps. And it helps grant and fundraising professionals connect with each other and with us. And we love it. Thank you again to our season five sponsor, DH Leonard consulting and grant writing services. We so appreciate their support in making grants less stressful. Visit their website at dhleonardconsulting.com to download their latest free resources today. We're so honored you chose to spend time with us today, and we hope you tune in for our next episode about how reading can make you a better writer. So, we'll Mm -hmm. see you then. Mm -hmm.